This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, October 27th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include our look at some of the new features, bug fixes, and security updates in the latest new versions of Apple's operating systems. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm really busy this week. Something happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that you're thinking about the new operating systems that just came out, in particular macOS Ventura, but also iPadOS 16.1. Yeah. And iOS 16.1. I just mean I'm mentioning iPadOS because, you know, we didn't have iPadOS 16 point anything yes. until Monday. But yes, this has kept me very busy. And we'll talk about some of the articles I've written for the Intego Mac security blog, but also just getting used to all this stuff. Now, I've been running betas since June, but there comes a moment when I switch from using a beta on my laptop to using the release software on my iMac for all my work. And that changes everything. You have to get used to all of the new things, particularly with Stage Manager, which I really like, and I know a lot of people really don't like it. But some of the things like the Settings app, they're hard to get used to. You have to find where the settings are that used to be there. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's start, though, by talking about the security updates. You said there were, what, 111 different security updates on Monday? Well, okay. So uh, across all of the different things that Apple updated, and they released a lot of security updates. So we got watchOS 9.1, tvOS 16.1. And I'll pause there for a second just to note that this is really weird because we did get details about the security contents of watchOS and tvOS, the, the point 0.1 releases, but we still don't have any details about watchOS 9 and tvOS 16. It still says on Apple's page, details available soon. And now we've gotten details about a further update, but not the original updates. Like what on earth? So you're saying we didn't get anything about the 9.0 and the 16.0. Exactly. But we do have stuff about the 9.1 and 16.1. Yeah. Go figure. That, that makes no well, sense to me. Could could this be the zero-day vulnerability that people have been talking about? No, no, that's unrelated. So just, just to finish out that conversation, I, the only thing, the only legitimate reason that I can think of why Apple might not be releasing the details about watchOS 9, for example, yet is maybe they're still planning to release watchOS 8 updates specifically for the Series 3, which, by the way, Apple is still selling refurbished models of, even though it can't run watchOS 9. So maybe they're going to release a watchOS 8 update and, and they haven't done it yet. And so they don't want to reveal details about vulnerabilities that are not patched for a particular product that they're still selling. I don't know. Is that the only update for a previous version of an operating system that we haven't had yet? Well, Apple has in the past patched up to three versions of watchOS at a time. That's only happened a couple of times, but it's more often that they've done, I think, two versions at a time. But typically they do this for the very specific reason of some older but kind of still supported watches don't run the latest watchOS. And so I am assuming that Apple's probably going to release at least some updates for watchOS 8 for the Series 3. But of course, they haven't said one way or another whether they're going to do that yet. The other possibility is maybe there's some sort of coordinated disclosure thing that Apple has in the works. Maybe there's some vulnerability that applies to other products besides Apple products that has to do with 
these two operating systems and Apple just can't release details until somebody else releases details. That's a possibility, but honestly, this is just kind of weird at this point. Should we recommend to everyone to update their stuff right away? I think that's a great idea. Yeah. At the very least, I would say iOS, iPadOS, watchOS, tvOS, there's no reason to not update those. And also, if you have Monterey or Big Sur, there are updates available for them as well, and Safari updates for them. MacOS Ventura is the one thing that, like, it's it's never a terrible idea to wait at least two or three days, maybe, after a major new macOS release, or until the point one or point zero point one release, just in case there are some bugs that might need to get patched once uh, that main new operating system is available to the public. There have been some things I've seen some discussion on Twitter about a couple of um, different issues that people are experiencing with Ventura. I personally have not upgraded my main system yet to Ventura, and I probably will within the next few days or so, but I might wait until the point one release this time on Ventura. How long did it take you to update to Monterey? <laughs> Months? I'm <laughs> perhaps okay and that's yeah but i honestly though the more that i study you know apple's patterns and what they decide to patch for the current versus the previous mac os versions the more convinced i am that it's very important to update as quickly as possible or as practical i should say because again maybe it's okay to wait like a few days or wait until the first point one release but you did mention there was something like oh well over a hundred vulnerabilities that were specifically mentioned in the mac os ventura 13 release notes 112 named cve common vulnerabilities and exposures numbers are listed there. And of course, as always, there's some additional credits that they give for other things that don't have a CVE number, but are some things that Apple improved the security of. And then there's some things beyond that too, because I've seen a couple of researchers mention on Twitter, hey, I know Apple patched my vulnerability that I reported to them in Ventura, but it's not in the release notes yet. So very likely we'll also see some future additions to the macOS Ventura 13 security updates release notes. That's a mouthful. Just some anecdotal information about updating my devices. My iPad Pro has been running the betas for a while. My iPad Mini 6 has not. My iPad Mini 5 has not. My iPad Mini 5 is in the kitchen, and my iPad Mini 6 I use regularly. And on Monday, I saw an update available for iOS 15.7.1, not iOS 16. And I restarted it, and I kept seeing 15.7.1. I thought, well, this one, for some reason, I'm going to have to update to that before 16 is available. I wasn't able to download it. It kept timing out. So I finally connected it to my Mac and updated it through the Finder. At the same time, my iPad Mini 5 was showing both of those updates available, 15.7.1 and 16, under the assumption that, as we talked about last year, you could stay on the previous operating system and get security updates or go to the new operating system. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, was what, 39 days? 36 it days, lasted? yeah. 36 days, yeah. <laughs> now, Apple didn't make that claim this time about iOS and iPadOS 15, so I don't know what that means. I, I assume that we're going to get probably at least the zero-day, you know, actively exploited vulnerabilities are probably going to get patched for 
the 15 versions of those operating systems, but Apple just hasn't said one way or another. I, I, I do anticipate that we'll probably get some 15 patches just because there's a, a number of devices that still are relatively new, but can't run 16. So there was a zero-day vulnerability that Apple said has been exploited in the wild. What's this about? Well, this is something that Apple has only patched in iOS and iPadOS 16.1. This is a kernel vulnerability. It was reported by an anonymous researcher, and the details are that an application may be able to execute arbitrary code with kernel privileges. Apple is aware of a report that this issue may have been actively exploited. So kind of a big deal, but because we don't know any more details, there's no researcher named, there's nobody else we can go to to like find out like specific details about this. We don't really know how broadly this has been in the wild, whether it was a targeted attack, whether a lot of people have been affected. We just don't know. And the other odd thing about this is it's a kernel vulnerability and really all of Apple's operating systems essentially are based on the same kernel. They're all kind of, I guess you could say forked from the the same main kernel. Everything kind of started out with Mac OS and then they sort of have branched it off and adapted it for the different platforms. And for whatever reason, this kernel vulnerability has only been fixed for iOS and iPadOS 16.1, and it hasn't been mentioned as something that affects the other operating systems. So we don't know whether it maybe does affect those other operating systems, and Apple just hasn't patched it yet, or if it just doesn't affect them at all. So that's something that... Um, I don't know. We'll maybe we'll find out eventually if Apple ends up patching them for other things. In the meantime, though, I, I definitely do recommend upgrading to iOS or iPadOS 16.1 as soon as practical. I, I think this is a really more urgent thing than upgrading to macOS Ventura, in spite of the number of things that were fixed in Ventura. Okay, your favorite software, OpenCore Legacy Patcher, has added Ventura support for 2012 and later Mac models. Unfortunately, it has not added support for your 2007 iMac, which you are still running. Right. This is the software that allows you to run the latest version of macOS on much older hardware. We got the new Ventura release from Apple on Monday, and already on Tuesday, OpenCore Legacy Patcher was updated to work on basically 2012 or later Macs that Apple's not supporting yet now can run macOS Ventura, with one exception, the Mac Pro 2013. But if you've got any other 2012 or later Mac that can't run Ventura natively, now you can use OpenCore Legacy Patcher and upgrade it. With the caveat that some features won't work, you may not have enough RAM to get everything to work. Well, so they say that it's fully supported. So theoretically, you shouldn't have any broken hardware if you've got a 2012 or later model. If you have an earlier model, they're working on trying to backport this support to, you know, my 2007 iMac and <laughs> and other 2008 or later models. Okay, some quick news. Apple has confirmed that the iPhone is getting USB-C which is basically they confirmed that they're following the law in the European Union. It is interesting that the European Union has pushed Apple to do it, but I think Apple was going to do it anyway sooner or later. All the new iPads are USB-C. It, would it wouldn't have taken long for them to get there. Right. This is one of those things that like we kind of knew anyway, just because Apple's got to comply with the law. But it's nice to see Apple at least confirming this. So we know that the next iPhone is going to have USB-C. That's a that's a guarantee now. Uh, Apple has raised prices of a bunch of their services, Apple Music, Apple TV Plus and Apple One. It's interesting because 
since, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been $10 a month for streaming music since a very long time. When Apple Music launched, they were at $10 a month or $9.99. They've raised the price $1. They've raised the price of Apple TV Plus from $4.99 to $6.99. And that's interesting. They started with a lowball price because they didn't have much content, and that's fair. And if you remember, you probably had 18 months free anyway before you had to start paying. So they built up their audience, but now they're getting to $6.99. And I must say, given the paucity of content that I like on Apple TV Plus, this is going to be one of those things that I subscribe for a month and then cancel and then subscribe for a month. This is not really that big of a price hike. We're talking $1 to $3 a month. It's, it's not a ton, but it's kind of to be expected. I mean, we know that a lot of other streaming services are doing this. Netflix increased prices, Disney Plus increased prices. It's not surprising to see Apple doing this as well. Okay, very quickly, yesterday, we're recording this on Wednesday the 26th. And yesterday, Tuesday the 25th, developers started noticing that Apple had released new ad slots in the App Store on iOS and iPadOS. And a lot of these were promoting gambling apps, including... Apps for people to wean themselves from gambling addiction had ads for gambling apps. This is pretty sleazy on Apple's part They because these apps make a lot of money. They get 30% cuts for in-app purchases. Just before the show, Josh and I were looking. First of all, I didn't see any more gambling apps. I think someone at Apple woke up this morning and said, uh-oh, all the developers are talking about this and it looks pretty bad. But you weren't even seeing any ads at all on one of your devices. Well, yeah. So this is kind of an odd thing. I've got a couple of test devices. There's one that I have running uh, the iOS 16 betas. And I also have another older device that's got 15.7.1 is the last operating system that can work on it. And I've also got my device, which is on the latest 16.1 non-beta. And of those three devices, mine did not have any of these ads. So there's a specific place when you tap on any ad in in the iOS app store and scroll down, you'll see you might also like there's a section and the top result on both of my test devices was an ad. But on my personal device, for whatever reason, I don't get an ad there no matter how many apps I checked. So this is kind of odd. And we looked to see if I could find like a a setting maybe, and I could not find any specific thing. Also, I'm not currently at the moment running a VPN on any of those three devices. So I don't know what's going on. In any case, Apple seems to have made a choice that is going to be controversial. And I'm sure in the next couple of days, we'll hear more about this. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the new features in macOS Ventura. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and macOS Ventura 13, as well as Apple's newest Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. 
That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, macOS Ventura. I'm sure you've been spending a lot of time trying it out, haven't you, Josh? <laughs> I haven't put it on any any of my devices yet, but I do intend to very soon, as I mentioned. So, I've been I've been having fun watching other people share their experiences with it so far. <laughs> but there are a lot of really good new features, though, that I'm looking forward to using. Well, let's go through some of the new features. I have an article on the Indigo Mac security blog called What's New in macOS Ventura? And I'm going to start with Stage Manager, which I love. I really love it. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. I've got a thorough article about using Stage Manager. I've been using it on my laptop for a couple of months. And when I switched over my iMac, my main work computer on last Friday, I immediately adopted it. And I think this is the greatest new Mac windowing feature since the MultiFinder. So the thing about Stage Manager is... On the Mac, when you're looking at an app, if you choose the apps menu, so I'm looking at Safari right now, if you click Safari, you can choose hide others. So when you do that, you can only display your Safari window. And that's a great way to remove all the distraction. The stage manager is kind of like that. When you switch to an app, it hides everything else. But it gets better because you can group apps together. So right now I have Safari and Zoom and the recording software that I'm using to record this podcast, all of them open at the same time. When I'm finished, I'll rearrange them and then I'll just have the one window at a time. And what I'm finding just in a few days is it really increases my productivity because I'm not distracted by the windows behind me. And I've got this interesting orangish Ventura desktop wallpaper, which is what's really interesting is it's been changing colors since the very beginning slowly. So if you look at the stage manager screenshot in my article, you'll see it's blue and orange. And right now it's kind of purple and dark orange and red. And it's like, going through this maybe like week-long color change. I initially thought it might be during the day it was lighter than at night, but it's been a very gradual change over the days. Really? That's that's bizarre. I, I, I thought that uh, Apple only did that with desktop pictures in accordance with like the natural sunrise-sunset schedule. Yeah, they do have that, but I'm seeing this on both my Macs that it's changing very slowly. Unless it could be a bug. Anyway, I think Stage Manager is great. Now, it does take some adapting. You can see my article about Stage Manager. I'll link in the show notes. But if you're one of these people who just have layers of windows, you might benefit from just airing out the space on your Mac. It sounds kind of cool. I mean, I, I like the concept behind it, and it does make it simpler than what I currently do. So if I want particular apps that I want to be visible, what I do is I switch to one app. I hide all the other apps and then I switch to one of the hidden apps and then go back to the, the other apps. So now I've got two apps that are visible and that works well enough for me. But I like the idea that maybe maybe I could use Stage Manager to simplify that. Yeah, it's a lot more automatic because you're kind of using a cludge to get there. So another way you can do this is with spaces where you put certain apps into individual spaces, but try out Stage Manager. It's really good. Now, some of the other really cool features are the ones in Mail and Messages, and there's both interesting features and there's one that's a bit deceptive, and I'll start with the deceptive one. They allow you to unsend emails, right? So imagine, let's give this scenario. It's three o'clock in the morning and you've had 
couple of glasses of wine and you send an email to your ex and you wake up in the morning later, you're a bit hungover and you say, oh my God, I sent that email. I got to unsend it. Too bad. It's not how it works. All it does is it gives you 10 seconds to unsend an email, 10 seconds. So if you accidentally slipped and fell on your keyboard and pressed the, the button to send the email message, that would give you a chance to unsend it quickly. You've only got 10 seconds. So I don't understand the whole point of unsending a message in 10 seconds. This is something that actually Gmail has been doing for a long time too, where you can set the amount of time that you have to unsend a message after you hit send. The reality is what's really going on is it's not actually sending the message until it gets to that the end of that timeout. And once the undo send option goes away, that's when the message actually gets sent. So that's the reality behind this. And it's kind of disingenuous. I agree with you. Now, the second good feature is that you can schedule emails. So let's say, I don't know, Josh, I want to send you an email that doesn't arrive until you wake up in the morning. So since we're eight hours apart, I could send it in the evening my time. And I'll say, well, send this at 3 p.m. my time. And that way you won't get it until you wake up. Not that it matters because if you get the email, you're asleep, you won't see it anyway. But in any case, you can schedule an email to, to send later. You can either send it at a suggested time. So in my screenshot in the article, I show that it's suggested to send it at 9 p.m. Or you choose send later and you choose the time you want. So if you're sending that email to your ex at 3 in the morning, choose to send later, like 12 hours later until you've slept it off because you'll be a lot safer. <laughs> That's one way you could do it. It's probably a better idea to, to schedule it and then you can side later or maybe just save it as a draft like maybe that's even better <laughs> exactly setting reminders for emails now that's pretty useful if you get a lot of email personally i don't get that much email that it really matters but if you get an email and you think i have to deal with that email today but i'm too busy let me get a reminder in two hours that's really practical i think yeah. So this one and the next one that we'll talk about, I think, are the, probably the most useful features. And that's because I think that, you know, being able to get a reminder about something that you need to follow up on is a useful feature. And it's not always practical to sort of create a remind, go to the reminders app, right, and create a reminder about something. It's much more simple, practical, and just sort of natural to be able to remind yourself right from the mail app. So I, I like this. I think this is a good feature. Now, there's another feature which reminds you to follow up on emails that you've sent. And this is a little bit weird because you can't choose which emails to follow up on when you get told to follow up on them. The first time I noticed this was when I had put the iOS 16 beta on my iPhone a couple of weeks ago. And all of a sudden I saw messages I sent to you showing up in my inbox. And first I was wondering, well, why are sent messages in my inbox? And I realized you never answer emails I send you because I send you emails all during the week of articles we might want to discuss on the podcast and I don't expect answers. I turned this feature off because I don't think it's very useful, but some people might like the idea of having emails you've sent back in the inbox to remind you that you've sent them. So you don't forget that you've sent an email to someone and you're waiting for a reply. Right. So this this is something that I actually find really useful. Microsoft and Google have already been doing this for quite a while. And so this is something that Apple is finally adding to their mail solution. So yeah, it kind of uses some AI to sort of determine whether it should resurface some emails. So it's not always going to necessarily surface everything that maybe it should. 
But, you know, it's it's it can be helpful. If there's something that you're still waiting on a reply about, it, it can be useful to sort of notify you that, hey, you haven't gotten a reply yet, so maybe you might want to follow up. And it, it doesn't hurt. And I think I'm the kind of person who might uh, enjoy that kind of feature. Okay, now Messages has some changes, and you can undo a sent message in Messages, and you have more than 10 seconds. You actually have two minutes. That's just awesome. So if you send a message, you can pull it back in two minutes. This is again 3 a.m. sending messages to your ex. You've got two minutes to react in case you sent a message that you really shouldn't have sent. Now, I think this is interesting. However, what happens when you send a message to somebody who's still on iOS 15 or earlier? What happens if you try to unsend that message? Now, I haven't tried that, but I did try editing messages with someone on an older version of macOS. We'll talk about editing in a second. What happens is they see two copies of the message. They see the original and the edited one. So I don't know what's going to happen here. What's important to realize is that messages, and this is not SMSs, but these are iMessages you send through messages, they're on Apple's server, and Apple has control of this, and they can remove them if they want. Now, this is only two minutes, so it's not a lot, but... For me, it's the kind of thing I've got my messages window and I'm in conversations with four people and I send a message to Josh saying, hey, what are we having for dinner tonight when I meant to send it to my partner? And that way I can pull it back and send it to the right person. Well, I, f I found the answer to what happens when you unsend a message to somebody who has iOS 15. And what it tells you is it gives you a little very fine print that says you unsent a message the person you sent it to may still see the message on devices where the software hasn't been updated. So basically it just doesn't actually unsend it. So now if you're the kind of person who <laughs> wants to be able to see messages that somebody unsent to you, maybe keep an older device on iOS 15. <laughs> just, just a thought. Or, or older than macOS Ventura. The same thing happens. So you can edit messages and you have up to 15 minutes. Uh, this is really good. I dictate a lot of messages on my iPhone because it's a lot easier than typing. And there are often mistakes. And sometimes I send a message and realize that was wrong and I just correct the word. Now I can just tap and hold, edit, and correct the edit. Now, what the recipient is going to see, they'll see the message with the word edited underneath it, and they can tap that to see the edit history. So you can't say something mean about someone and edit it out and then say something nice <laughs> because they're still going to be able to see it. Now, as I said earlier, with an older version of macOS or iOS, the person will see two messages, the original and the edited message. So you can't, you can't hide anything there. Yeah. It, it, this is one of those features that I feel like, okay... They're really trying, but... <laughs> yeah. It, well, there are limitations, and particularly because of the multiple operating systems. Yeah. And because of multiple devices getting things at different times. And let's say your device no longer has internet access or cell access, so it's not getting the information to update an edited message. I think where this could be more useful is many years down the road, once Apple has cut off iMessage from any operating systems older than a certain point, right? Maybe anything older than iOS 16 and macOS Ventura can no longer use iMessage several years down the road from now. And then you can actually unsend and have a reasonable expectation that the person on the other end is not going to see it. One other interesting feature is that you can recover recently deleted messages. I don't know why they hadn't done this before. If you use the Photos app, you delete photos, you can recover them for 30 days. You can even recover some content on iCloud.com if you've accidentally deleted your contacts or calendars, I think. 
So now you actually have an option to view recently deleted messages. And in my article, I show the view menu on macOS Ventura. You have a similar option in iOS and iPadOS. Along with this, I would like to be able to delete messages more easily. Like I'm the guy who every time I get a six digit two-factor code from PayPal or whoever it is, I enter the code and then I want to delete it because I've got too many messages in the sidebar of the messages app. And deleting is you have to right click, select delete, and then click OK. There's no quick way to delete messages. I wish they would introduce something like that. You know, you, you mentioned something about getting that two-factor text message from PayPal. I know. I know. <laughs> of, of course, there are better ways to do this than, than SMS. But what I was going to mention was that, interestingly, though, if you're using lockdown mode, this is one of the things that actually gets turned off. So this is a feature that's been there for a long time where you get the prompt on your keyboard if you're using iOS. So you can just tap on the code that was sent to you and it fills it in for you. That doesn't happen if you're using lockdown mode. And I think the reason for that is maybe they're trying to get you to look more carefully, like just in case somebody is sort of man in the middling or doing something kind of sneaky and sending you a code. For whatever reason, though, Apple decided to turn that off as one of the things in lockdown mode that they turn off. At some point soon, I hope, I'm going to write up my experience with lockdown mode, at least on iOS. I've been using it for, what, a month? More than a month now? And uh, it's I, I think it's really not that bad. I don't think I'm ever going to probably use this on a Mac, though. I think this would be way too restrictive to use this on Mac OS Ventura. OK, link in the show notes to my article. There are new features in Spotlight, Safari, Continuity Camera and System Settings. We'll talk about some of them in next week's episode. Until next week, Josh, will you install Ventura before the next episode? <laughs> we'll find out next week, won't we? <laughs> OK, until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>